Hello and welcome to episode six of The Spiel, a regular podcast about games and the people who love them. I am Stephen Conway. And I'm David Colson, and we're glad to have you guys back here for episode six. And hopefully you're going to notice a big improvement <laughs> between five and six, not just in the length of time that it took us to get here, but in several other things. Yeah, we've had a little bit of an equipment upgrade and... Uh, the website's coming along quite nicely. We've got some. We've got our lists up lists now. Are, you can yeah. actually see the lists of games that that we own, as well as the the lists of games that we haven't played. Um, for those of you who haven't listened to us before, we're a podcast that deals primarily with board games and card games, but the whole world of games is is on limits to us. So we're we're not a we're not opposed to talking about computer games or video games, but we're our primary focus is video or is a uh, board, board games, games and card games primarily um so without further ado i think we should just get on to the news and notes dive right in game news and notes i'll go ahead and start off um Basically, I guess I have to preface my pick of new neat thing with we know that I'm kind of a component whore. <laughs> it's a um, well-known fact. And this game fits into that category very easy. <laughs> um, this game is called Lexio, and it's published uh, by a Korean company called Dagoy, or Dagoy, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's a game for three to five players, and it's based on a traditional Chinese game that I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, either Zing Shang Yu, which is the climbing game. Um, I know that everybody's familiar with Great Down Moody, Gang of Four, Tichu, and that style of game. Um, but what sets Lexio aside or apart from these is its components. Instead of being played with cards, it's being played with tiles. Mm. And they, these tiles are gorgeous. They've got a white version. And a black version. If, it, if anybody's ever seen a um, black Mahjong set. Mm, they're awesome. Gorgeous. They're really they're cool. Gorgeous. And that's the size of these tiles remind me of a Mahjong set. Totally, totally, um, yeah. And the, the actual printing or the actual tiles themselves, the designs on them are really cool. I think there's four suits in this, and they're suns, moons, stars, and the wind. Um, and they're, they're just absolutely gorgeous. I love... Um, games like the Great Dow Moody, anyway. Mm -hmm. So, as far what's as the one you can play with just a regular fifty-two deck of cards that oh, other people? Asshole. asshole. That's right. I couldn't think of the name of of that one. That if you don't know, right. the, the all these other games are sort of versions of of that. You exactly. lay down a set, and then you have to either get higher or I mean, there's various rules, variations on it, but you have to match or beat the set that someone else sort of melds exactly. out in front of them. And but, this just is just the newest twist on that. I believe, like I said, this is a Korean company. Unfortunately, I, I believe FunAgainGames.com carried them. They are not in stock right now. They don't know when they'll be back in. Price-wise, we're looking at like 36 bucks for the white, 42 bucks for the black. Um, when we're going to be able to get them, I'm not sure. But is So is Lexio itself an older game that is just sort of hitting the market here in America, it's, do you think? think so. Or is it a game that's just like brand Brand spanking new. Okay. It was 05, so it's not brand new. It's been out for okay. a year-ish, give or take. But suddenly it's caught fire, I guess, um, and everybody wants it. Um, at, at least for me. I, <laughs> I'm i one of those ones that have caught fire. Yeah. But um, 
So I'm I'm hoping that somebody's going to be able, it's going to make it to this country somehow, because we're heading to Gen Con here in a handful of months. Maybe we'll be able to pick some people's brains and see where we Find can out get where it we because can. it looks gorgeous. And you know, if it plays anything like the rest of the um, ladder climbing games that we've played, it'll it'll be great. Yeah, yeah, all those games are really fun, and it's it's always fun to see how they can take the same basic mechanic right. and tweak it in some way. And I, to me. Adding the tile, oh. there's not enough tile games out no. there. I mean, you've got dominoes and you've got mahjong, right? And those kinds of games, but just the tactile nature of playing a game like that to me is also right. That fun. So, what do you've got? Uh, my game for uh, the news and notes section is um, another in the chapter of the zombie games put out by Cheap Ass Games. <laughs> um, Cheap Ass Games has. <laughs> A series of games that all involve zombies. Uh, the first two were zombies working at fast food restaurants. You had Give Me the Brain, uh, where you're all zombies, but there's only one brain between the two of you, <laughs> or the bunch of you. Um, then there was Lord of the Fries, where you're trying to fill uh, different fast food customers' orders as fast as you can. Um, the third installment was The, the Great, Great Brain, brain robbery, robbery, where yeah. you have zombies in the Old West, and sort of in keeping with that pairing, this is another Old West-themed uh, zombie-related game called Dead Money. And uh, it's put out by Cheap Ass Games, the designers. I love it, just from the name. Yeah, I mean, already. How, and I, I don't, do you know the, the term dead money? Is a, it's a poker term, oh, too. Oh, I don't. Yeah. Um, inexperienced players who sit down and play <laughs> with, <laughs> with uh, experienced players, they're referred to as dead, dead money. money. So it's kind of a nice little twist play on that That's great. that lingo too i think um so this the kind of basic gist of the game is um you're playing poker with a bunch of zombies in an old west saloon but you can't win <laughs> you actually have to sit down and try to lose every poker hand that you can um some of the details about the game are still a little sketchy because it is has basically just been announced fairly recently um I know that according to the cheap ass game site, they hope to have it ready by Gen Con, but it looks like they've pushed it back uh, to the fall, so they might have a prototype right. or something or a yeah. promo version of it. That's a booth but we need to look up. That's... I think we'll be looking that up <laughs> and look forward to uh, several extensive Gen Con reports from the spiel when it gets closer to the time. Anything where... poker is good and throw a zombie in. How can you go wrong? Hello? Undead poker? You gotta go there. <laughs> The list. This week we're talking about our list of games. Uh, we have a little bit of, of accounting to do before we actually head into our two games that we've played this week. Uh, this segment we talk about um, the games. We have an enormous collection of games that you can look at at thespiel.net at our website. But right. we also long ago started keeping a list of all the games that we hadn't played. And so every um, episode of The Spiel, we will feature at least one, if not two games, from um, our list of unplayed games. And we'll give you our, our basically our review, not necessarily right. you know five-star kind of review, but our experience having played the game and whether we're interested in playing it again. However, before we get <laughs> into that, we have a little bookkeeping to... Okay. If anybody's been paying attention, our list has been hovering around the 70s or 80s. 
We're actually down to 64. 64, right. And then if you've actually looked on the website in the last <laughs> week or so, you'll notice a tremendous jump. It's up to 127, seven, I think. Yes, 27, Exactly, I think. which is huge. And there's two reasons for that. Yes. Um, one reason is, yes, we did buy a lot of games. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think between Stephen and I, another 20 or 30 games were purchased. Um, we found a, a sale that was awesome, and we had to right <laughs> had to partake. There's a great uh, online uh, merchant called Fun Again Games, and they had a, a spring cleaning sale where they were selling off games at ridiculously low prices, and neither of us have any... Uh, Self-control and exactly. ended up buying way more games than we Well, you we can't turn down $20, $30, $40 games for $3, $5, $7. No. You no. Know, you, obviously, there's a chance you're going to get stuck with some games that aren't awesome, but for that kind of price, we're willing to take the right. risk every yeah. time. <laughs> and we jumped in with, well, I jumped in with both feet, even more so than Dave. This might be the first time <laughs> in history that I came out with a, a more, a, a larger... Uh, game build and, and Dave did. I had from... to fill my trunk up to bring him over to his house. We had him shipped to my house and bringing him over here was was quite the task. When you have to measure how many games you got by the pounds and not by the yeah. titles, you know that you've probably got I think got the a shipment, what, what did I say, was it 40? It was over 40. It was crazy. It was sad. It was crazy, but it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's at least partially responsible for the the radical jump from the 64 up to 127. <laughs> However, that doesn't that only covers maybe a third right. again as much of the game. So, we have a little bookkeeping issue that we actually kind of touched on and was brought up by an earlier episode. I think it was right. episode 2. Yep. of uh the spiel um where we weren't necessarily counting all the games we should have been counting. Right. On our list of unplayed games. Do you want to give that, us the scoop on that? that? That was probably my fault trying to forget about some things. But actually several expansions for games have come out over the last few years. And I had just been tucking those away and counting them as being played since I had played the base game that those were made for. But we thought that um, it would probably be a good idea to actually start counting those. So a good example is... We just recently purchased an expansion for Carcassonne, mm -hmm. Carcassonne Tower, Tower, and I wouldn't, I was not adding that to the list of things that needed to be played. And obviously, it does need to be. played. It's a separate game, yeah. Exactly. It's we can't say that we've played you the, know, Tower. the Tower if we haven't played the Tower. So all those expansions that we hadn't tried are now back on the list, um, and I think it's kind of cool. I mean, in addition to it, definitely needs to be done. I think it's a good idea. It gives us, you know, a broader yeah. base of games, and we're going to get to co come back and touch on some classic games, exactly um, that we haven't played maybe for a little while. We're going to get to play them before having having to get through these other sixty. Right, we can know, revisit games. revisit favorite games. You I know, know with I, these expansions that we I might saw, not get to as quickly. Right. There's a lot that jump back on the list, and I'm like, cool. I can't. <laughs> that's going to be awesome coming back to that guy. Not that we wouldn't do it on our own. You know, but just gives us an extra excuse to, exactly. to pull these games out of the closet that much more quickly. I think, which is right. You so know, how can that be a bad thing? <laughs> exactly. So those are the reasons why the list has ballooned, yes, crazily over the last few weeks. Up to 127, but it's going down to 125 after uh, the end of. Except for I bought a couple more. 
Oh, you bastard. I so didn't know be, that. <laughs> so after you listen to this, or um, actually we'll probably get the list, list changed before you listen to this. Right. But needless to say, it'll all be correct by the time you hear this. And that website address, again, is thespiel.net. So maybe we should do like a subliminal <laughs> thing like underneath while we're talking. <laughs> yeah, I like I it. Know. Okay, so now to the meat of the now, list for Now today. to the meat. So, um, Dave, you want to start here with the first game that we played tonight off of our list? Yep, the first game. Um, the cool thing we also want to say is both these games oh, that we're yes. playing are Good from point. our recent haul mm-hmm. on the sale um, from funagain.com. So both these games were purchased in our last big <laughs> Sale yeah. purchase, <laughs> and they were both sight unseen. They were games we really yep. didn't know necessarily a lot yeah. about, but we got suckered in because you know you can't go wrong for a couple dollars. There's very little financial risk, so you right. might as well get whatever you can see get what a happens. game for less than a gallon of gas. Hello, <laughs> I'm there. Right, but okay. So the first game tonight is um, a card game called Tortuga, put out in 2003 by a company um, called Red Omega Studios. Um, the designers are Piero Sioni and Giovanni Malega. That's my Sounds guess. Sounds good enough, yep. Um, let's, it's a two-player, specifically a two-player card game. They put the um, playing time at 30 minutes, and retail cost should be around 13 bucks. Whether you're going to be able to find this game right. anymore it's or not. currently probably out of print. Yeah. But, I mean, we we're, were able to find them at Fun Again. This but. is, um, I think, probably Red Omega... I can't find anything about them on the internet anymore at all. I think they may gone. be gone. Um, they've done other games like Crazy Rally, um, Daimyo, Daimyo, Snake Lake, just some <laughs> other goofy things that unfortunately uh-huh. we don't know a lot about. Right. Um, but they have done some other stuff. But um, R. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but tonight we did the pirate um, Tortuga. So basically, the synopsis is that. Um, the Caribbean Sea is the scene where pirates board European colonist galleons in order to plunder treasure. In Tortuga, every player plays the part of the leader of a pirate's clan. He tries to board in the best way for himself while simultaneously preventing his opponents from successfully boarding. To do this, he will have to choose which ship to board, the best weather conditions, and the best strategy to use during combat. Beating great and powerful ships and gaining the most precious treasures the player will earn honor points, which will let him win the contest. So that pretty much is the theme of the game. Um, the way a um, couple did you, things... Did you say it's a card game? Did it's a card say, game. Okay. I, I don't know whether I said that or not. <laughs> but it is, in fact, a card game. Um, one unique thing is that um, some of the cards that are used are, are laid out on the table in the beginning to kind of set up what you know would be a board Mm-hmm. You know, because you're going to be playing cards to a grid. Um, we each have three pirate ships apiece. They're set at the head of this grid. And they're randomly They're random, distributed. randomly distributed out. Um, and then there are four, what do you want to say, four rows? Yeah. Um, that each, you're going to play cards to each row for each column. Like, the pirate ship heads up a column, mm-hmm. if you can picture that. And then... Each row of that column, there are four rows for each column, and one is going to be the ship that you're trying to attack, um, the weather conditions that may or may not affect that particular ship, the treasure that it's carrying, and the, um, the strategy that you're going to use to attack that to ship. Attack that ship. 
Um, and those are all cards that you have in your hand that you're going to play out to this grid. Mm -hmm. um, and and the, the way the rules are written, um, everything is done in a very specific order. Yes. You play first the ships. We, we both have to play all the ships that we're going to attack. Then we have to play the treasure, all the treasure that they're carrying. Then we have to play the, the weather. weather conditions. And then at the very end, we're going to play the strategy that we're going to use or the specific whether you're going to compare numbers, the sale numbers, the weapons numbers, or the defense numbers, mm -hmm. um, if that makes any sense. Um, and then at the end, um, basically, you're going to compare those numbers for each column. Right. And if your, your pirate ship bested the ship in that particular number, then you're going to win the treasure. Um, and most treasure at the end, I think they call it prestige points. Yeah. But on the cards, they're pictured as little, you know, gold yeah, treasure. Doubloons. Yeah. So that's basically um, the card in a nutshell. Yeah. Or the game in a nutshell, sorry. It's very, it's very fast. I mean, yep. it, it goes, you play two rounds, so you play, there are enough cards that you you deal out basically half of the cards to each player for the first round of the game, and then the other half of the cards get dealt out um, for, the second. for the second half right. of the game. And so the pirate ships have different values on them, as well as the ships you're trying to attack, so you don't know what order they're going to come up in the grid, whether it's the first grid or the second grid that you're going to end up battling back and forth. Um, to me, I guess, the... The other mechanic thing is that you can play cards on your opponent as right. well as on your own ship. So it's not, you're not just sort of setting up your own part of the grid with, oh, here are my pirates and here are my ships. It's very much, I think, a screw your neighbor kind yeah. of game well, where you look for that most evil. Was you screwing me over? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you instantly looked at your hand and saw, okay, the, the weak pirate ship that I had, and you plopped down a pretty hefty. You know, other ship that I wasn't going to be able to beat very yeah, easily. Yeah, it was it was better than all of your yeah. things across the yep, board. Yeah, exactly. And that's that tended to be what we did the whole the whole time. You know, we would play the first few cards. We would make sure and stick each other really good. Mm -hmm. You know, and then as you were trying to scramble to help ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So part of it is trying to scramble to not get defeated by <laughs> exactly the the ships that you're trying to actually defeat. <laughs> right. Through part of it. Um, I think the game encourages that. I mean, it's yeah. not. It's much more about trying to make your opponent's life hard yep. than it is about setting up your own board, even though the I rules agree. might indicate otherwise. I think that just the flow of the game pushes you towards doing that. So um, what did you like about the game, Dave? Um, I say not the only thing I really liked is I thought the cards were fun. But the artwork on them was neat. I think the idea, the basic idea of the game, was well thought off. And the fact, the fact that it has anything to do with pirates at all, always <laughs> gets an A plus. Um, but unfortunately, I don't have a lot else to say good about. It. <laughs> what about you? Um, I would. I mean, the pirate theme is always one that sort of I'm a sucker for, even if the game is kind of mediocre. Um, to me, I thought that the the promise of the game was better than the payoff. Bingo. Of of the game that, you know, even when you were just sort of going through the basic rules with me, I thought it was going to play out much differently than it did. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad game, but I don't think it, it's just mediocre in its execution. From talking about the concept of you know these pirates fighting the, the uh, right. you know random merchant ships on the high sea sounds really cool. 
but it's so structured that yeah. you know maybe we should go into what what what, don't like. what we don't like about it because exactly. we're gonna we have a few issues with it I think I, I think the first thing that that's kind of funny is I'm not sure if I said it at the beginning but this game is um, aimed at the target audience is 12 ages 12 and up mm-hmm. and this car this game could be easily played by 10 eight. if not eight yeah year I think old. you're right um, it's it's very basic very simplistic um, very regimented. And how you're supposed to play, just like you just said, to the point to where you feel like you have little control, yes, you know, over anything um, at all. And one of the big things that I said, um, and it, since you're since we each have three cards that we have to play to exact positions on the board, and you have to play them there in an order, um, like what we say, the first one is the ships. Yeah, ships, the first column treasures. Is the ships. Uh, so let's just take that first column for example. Um, we're gonna we have to play. We take um, turns playing the cards. Right, I'll play a ship to um, one of the columns with a pirate ship in it. I'm going to play one of these other ships. So there's six cards, in other words, that are going to go in that row. Right. When I'll you play, get to card number six... Um, right, I mean, it's just got to go in that spot. There's only one spot left, right. so the person who ends up, ends up going last has no has basically no control over yep. so that Steve, play. So Steven will play one of his ships, then I will, then Steven, then I, then Steven, and I'm left with just even that last one out and that happens for each it happens for the ships then it happens for the treasure then it happens for the seas and finally the strategy so, so out of your 12 cards four of your 12 cards just, you absolutely have no control over how right. or where they're going to go on the board which is i mean that's a significant number of your decisions right. that you should have to make in exactly. a game exactly and then it flip-flops when you play the second match same thing happens to the other person. Yeah, I mean, at least it evens it out, but I don't right. think that makes it better. No, no. And the other thing is we did mention that there is a, a special action card that's dealt to you at the beginning right. of the game, but rather than held in your hand, it's laid face up on the table. So everyone can see everybody it. Everybody can see it, um, and you know that you're going to take that action. At the very end, before you score, you're going to take that action. There's no secrecy. There's no surprise. Um, it was just kind of a bummer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it didn't really. Even though there's some sort of interaction with you know, kind of screwing over your your opponent by being able to make his board really hard for him to deal with. There's just not. You feel like the game's sort of playing itself. Yep. Instead absolutely. of you playing the game, um, and but to me, I guess there there are fixes to a lot of these problems. I guess right. that's that's the thing that kind of disappoints me is that they they almost got it right. You can see the potential for a really interesting game there, and I don't know whether they didn't play test it enough or whether they just had to get it out because they had printing and you know other sort of business right. kind of issues that they had to deal with. But it just feels like an unfinished game to me. Absolutely. And I mean, just we can briefly mention a couple the, the of the things that, that the fixes that we came up with were so simple and so natural, and don't add I, any like components or anything right, to the game. That I can't imagine that you know that hadn't crossed their mind at some point to make this, you know, maybe it was their intention to make this a very simplistic game with the exception of the fact that it says 12 and up on the mm-hmm. on the box. But, you know, just a simple thing of rather than regimenting the order that the cards had to be played into the grid, by freeing that up and allowing you to play to any portion in the grid, I, I think that would be huge. Instantly a much more interesting game if you can make your strategy 
not wealth. It's ghost ships, treasure, weather, strategy. But I can start out by saying, okay, that battle is going to be about cannons. Exactly. So, you know, it put it puts pressure on your yet, opponent to go, okay, well, I better get a good cannon thing in there. Or right. likewise, you could put, you know, a really high treasure out to say, well, there's a sort of the yeah. carrot to try to entice people exactly. to, to fight over that one. Um, the other fix, I think, with those those rules breaker cards that you get at the end is instead of one, there is it's, no reason for them concealed. to be face up. That, that is so yeah. retarded, I think. You know, it should totally be face down. Right. And because it in our in our, the case of our game, it completely changed the way Dave played his hand of cards against me because he knew that I had my special card was being able to nullify one entire battle with a pirate ship. Yep. And so he could totally construct how he played the rest of his hand, knowing that I had this card. Well, it's much more interesting if he's sitting there planning all these things, and at the last second I'm able to come in and say, oh, well, you know that plan you just had? I think I'd, not. I'd much, I'd much rather be aware that that card is out there and always be wondering, is that something that Steven has that is going to use on me, and should I plan accordingly rather than just knowing from the get-go? He's going to trash one-third of my board. Mm-hmm. And so I just you know, <laughs> makes it much. It, it was boring, basically. Yes, yeah, you know, we could tell exactly what was going to happen. Yeah, you know, I guess very the, early on. The only other fix I guess we had was maybe to add more of those because those those kinds of um, cards They're, that allow you to switch the grid around. Right. You think the grid is set, but yet somebody's like, "Oh, I have a card that can switch two of the treasures right. or two of the ships around." Um, if you were able to play more of those during the game, like throughout exactly during the hand or the round, rather than just at the just end, just yeah, I think that would that make would be it fun. much more interesting and give you. I mean, it's a game about pirates for crying out loud, so there should be an element of chaos exactly. in the game, not this sort of. <laughs> this Regis, game isn't yeah. the British Navy; it's pirates for <laughs> crying out loud. You should want to have the board be much more in flux than it is, right? So overall. I would not say I'm looking forward to playing this nope, one nope. again. No, I would. I I would not play this again without getting out specifically to test. Yes, you know some of our what we would consider improvements. I could say. I mean, we could do it at our pirate party. I right. could see pulling it out there because it is pretty fast and quick and would be easy to teach someone. But there's right. there are other party pirate oh, games better that that you could use for a pirate party. Big and, time. Very very glad that I only spent. Uh, Three dollars or whatever it was on this. So you know it was you know. a swing and a miss. Yep, exactly. With this one, but you you don't know until you buy, right? <laughs> exactly. Or try. Exactly. <laughs> However that goes. Number two on the list. Two on the list, and I'm pleased to say that we both had a much more favorable reaction yep. to uh, this one, even though Dave kind of rolled his eyes when <laughs> he saw this one on our list of of purchases for this um, this haul. Um, so, game number two off the list um, this week is Monkey Mission. That just sounds good. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, anything with monkeys, <laughs> how can it be bad, I, I would say. you know, I mean, we did find a pirate game that isn't very good. So True. But this one upholds the monkey rule pretty darn well. Um, it's uh, it, Monkey Mission was uh, produced in 2003. The designer is Gunter Bars. The publisher is Ravensburger. It's a... A two to four player game. It's uh, geared towards ages eight and up, and um, you can find it online for around twenty dollars, or you can find it on <laughs> sale for two or three, depending exactly. upon how lucky you are. Um, it's just a fun 
um, little game that takes place in the board, which I think is the first unique thing in to say box. about it. Uh, yeah, in the box. Sorry, gosh, I can't talk. Um, it, the whole game takes place in the game box itself. That is the board for the game, which is really cool. You have a sort of sunken uh, archaeological site that you're digging around, and there are these hidden temples. Um, the middle of the board is sort of sunken the lowest, and you have a little explorer token that's going to travel from sort of temple to temple to see if he can find these little very brightly colored uh, <laughs> plastic monkeys um, that are all hiding within the temples. Um, the temples themselves, the, the absolute coolest thing I think about the the whole process of playing the game is you've got little twister, not twister, sort of turn... They, they look like knobs. Knobs, yeah, that's a good way yeah. to describe them. Knobs that um, you pull them up out of the board and then give them a little bit of a twist, and then they stay up. So they're sort of blocking the explorer's view of the monkey idols that hide from inside. Right. So you can imagine sort of the Indiana Jones thing with you know the, the gold item and the the, and the, the bag, bag of sand. Yeah. You know it's that kind of that kind of setup here, but much more colorful, <laughs> and right. it's definitely geared towards kids in that in the sort of graphic design area of the game. But the absolute coolest sort of aspect of the game is these little knobs that Dave just described. Yeah, they're. Um, when you travel, when you move your explorer by rolling a die to one of these different temples, you say out loud a number between one and three, and that's the number of times you're going to turn these little knobs, not knowing whether or not the knob is going to drop into the board and reveal the monkeys for you to take the first one on the left and have that be one of your prizes. Um, so it's a very sort of mechanical mechanic. Yeah, it's, if it's that a, makes sense. It's got a like a gimmick, gimmicky mechanism, you know, and as its main mechanic. Right. You know, so which is really cool. The number of times you turn it, there's only one particular slot that that knob is going to turn and drop down into the board, thus revealing your your prizes, your treasures. Um and you don't know because you pull it up and you sort of twist it so you have no idea how many of those twists it's going to take for you to drop it into the thing. The less, the, the I think the really dramatic part of the game is that by guessing either one through three, you get a greater or lesser reward right. based on how much risk you want to take. So if you're like, wow, that, that one's been turned like a hundred times, <laughs> I think it's got to be the next one. So I'm only going to turn it once. Well, if you turn it once and it drops, you get the most reward. If you turn it three times, you get the least reward. So... You can kind of there is there is an element of strategy to right. it, even though there is luck. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I mean, in its basics, I mean, it is a memory game. Yes. You know, but with this fun, you know, twist, literally a twist. Yeah. You know, but uh, twisted monkey. Exactly. Um. So, uh, I guess that just leads me right into what I liked about the game, and it, it's just fun. I mean. It, it's not doesn't have to be a complicated game no. for it to be fun, and there's so many games in that sort of eight year old eight and up category that are just deathly boring to adults. And this is a game <laughs> that I would I would play. I mean, we obviously well, the, we're both grown men and we're yeah. playing this game about monkeys that's designed for eight year olds and having a blast with it. But you could play it with an eight year old exactly. and have a hell of a good time. Or you could play it with a group of adults and I think have equally as much I'd say, fun. And that's really a a high mark for anything exactly. to one, say. One cool thing that differentiates this from Tortuga is this 
we thought that Tortuga should have been aimed at an eight, <laughs> uh, you know, an eight-year-old audience. Good point. This absolutely was, you know, and it does exactly what it says it's supposed to do. I mean, you're not expecting some major, huge, deep game. brain hurting, right, you know. And it was fun just to get out and and play. It was goofy and it was fun. Yeah, you know, we should mention that um, Gunter Bars has done several games that have mechanisms to them. I didn't know that until you were telling me that. You know, I mean, he has honestly. Uh, there's he has one Alibaba. He has Black Rock Castle, Chaos in the Geisterbahn, <laughs> and Drops and Company, just to name a few. And they all play in the box and all involve some kind of mechanism. But not the same one that we've nope. described. They're nope. all unique. Yep, they're all different, unique mechanisms. Um, and we've played a couple. We have other games in our collections that you know have mechanisms you in know, the as, box. You know that are in the box, and they're just fun and different. And I think. I mean, they can. They have the possibility of kind of falling flat on their face if it is if the game totally rides on that me- that mechanism and doesn't have a right, good game built fun, around right. it. Um, but I, you know, based on Monkey Mission, I would certainly look forward to trying some of his other ones because right, I think it's a the, really nice balance. The of... chaos in the Geister Bond, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like there's that chaos in the on the Ghost Ride. I think it is okay. It's something to do with you know going in like a scary ride or something, and That's everything cool. goes awry. Is there an Egyptian one that you just mentioned or something? Um, or am I, I don't. It wasn't Gunter Bars, but I have something called a game called Luxor. That's right. That's right. That That's is um, it sets up. Like there's a board, a game board, and you physically somehow pieces go inside of this game board and slide oh, cool. down, and <laughs> it's wacky. It uses uses the box also for like these hidden crypts or something mm-hmm. that you try and reveal. It's been a long time since I played it, but <laughs> once again, um, the game was aimed at a younger audience, right? You know, but with the right attitude, and you know that going into it, they're fun. Yeah, the I mean, without we basically described the whole gist of the game but i think one thing that bears worth mentioning is uh the p the components themselves aside from the board yeah. itself having the cool component the little monkeys are hilarious yeah. they're bright colored. i made fun of steven and now i'm really pissed <laughs> that i don't have cool brightly colored plastic monkeys in my <laughs> game collection my only my only knock i can say is on the cover they have you know the see no evil <laughs> hear no evil speak no evil I was totally expecting the little monkeys to all have the different see, see no evil, hear no evil, but they're all in the same kind of right, just they, normal arms folded pose, and I was exactly. a little disappointed that they didn't follow through with that in the thing, but that's, that been, that's that nitpicking. That would have had two more molds, two more setups yeah. in the thing. but <laughs> And the game would have been that much more expensive, so right, I can't exactly. really knock it for that. But exactly. I would definitely encourage anyone with uh, little kids... Um, these would be great entry level games that are not your Candyland kind of games right. that you you would enjoy getting off. You know, I think it was you, Dave, that mentioned, hey, you could uh, take a drink for every uh, turn yeah. that you don't find a monkey yeah. on. We we don't necessarily condone the use of alcohol while gaming, but <laughs> this game screams for it. Yes, <laughs> but we had a perfectly pleasant time playing it without any uh, extra. If, if added you are benefits. if you are drinking. And you spend a little thing and find a monkey. Just take the points. Don't spank him. <laughs> you know, don't even think about that. Public service announcement brought to you by David Colson of 
the spiel. <laughs> well, I think that about wraps up uh, the list for this yep. week. Um, one one thumbs up, one thumbs down, I would say, yep, in, exactly. in general. Uh, that's not a bad percentage, considering we spent all of $5 on both of yeah, these games. exactly. You know, I think your your great rule of five dollars. Uh, Dave taught me this rule long ago that you know if you're looking in a toy store or a game store and you find something and it's under five dollars, you know it's probably worth the risk even if you don't know about it because you might find a monkey mission mixed in. Right. Those things you just never know. And if and if it turns out to be a tortuga, you're only out five bucks. You know, it's it's less than a price of a movie for crying out loud. Yeah. Backshelf Spotlight. This uh, this is a segment where we highlight um, some either forgotten games or games that might not have crossed your attention but are certainly on our radar and, and therefore should be on yours at some point, sooner rather than later, we hope. Um, okay. We've added an extra little wrinkle to the Backshelf Spotlight. I started. I started this war, so it's time that Dave uh, got to fire back at me. So there's going to be a connection between the games from now on that might not always be obvious to the naked eye. Right. Um, so we can we can list the two games right off the get go, so people can think about this for a while right. before we give the answer. Of uh, the two games that we've picked are Euchre and Backgammon, um, classics that we think everybody. Surely is played, but that's probably not the case. <laughs> Especially maybe with euchre, it being a midwestern, midwestern kind you know, of phenomenon. Type, exactly, but um, maybe you've never played backgammon either. I but, ran into my one of my best friends uh, had no idea how to play backgammon. We were trying to play a game online, and uh, I was just completely floored that he had no idea how to play backgammon. So, with that as an incentive, I think you know there's there are probably people out there who don't know as much about these games as they should, so here here we go. Um, so, want to start with Euchre? Let's start with Euchre. Okay, great. This this puppy has been around for a long time. Um, there's uh, there's no designer. The game is obviously doesn't have a publisher. You, you play with four people, typically in teams. There are a myriad of variants that has you play. <laughs> yes. I mean, they're, we, we call this like a Trump-style yeah, game. Trump. Trick-taking. Trick-taking style thing, and um, Euchre was obviously the first of its kind. Whether it started off named Euchre or not, it you know come, had a lot of earlier names. That was really kind of interesting, I thought, in looking at the history a little bit, is the various debates over <laughs> how, it's how it kind of right. started its life, whether it was a... What was it? A Dutch game called Jucker or something? Juckerspiel? Right, exactly. Or Euchrespiel? Or um, what was the, the French the game? Fr the Triumph or... Triumph or um, Ecarte, I think right. was the other one. Right, that's... Um, that there seems to be a great debate as to how or where... Um, the, the main, I guess, thing that sets it maybe apart from other um, card-slash-trick-taking-slash-Trump card kind of games is the number of cards in the deck. Right, it's definitely um, the deck is thinned down to just nine through ace, um, ace being high. right. Um, you don't use obviously the two through eights, um, which takes it down to a much smaller deck. You know, twenty four, um, under half, yeah, of the size. Um, and every hand, you're basically all but four cards are in the game, and really that's not even right. All but three, because one of them's going to be face up, as the the trump, as the trump. So 
Um, that's I think that's what makes a lot of people interested in this game, um, is that the knowledge of I mean there's only 24 cards in the deck and you're gonna know 21 of them by the time you finish the hand. And it's a partner game, Part, so right. you, you know you're gonna have some indication from your partner as the cards start to come out in the course of play. There are little the... little secrets and tips, <laughs> you know, of what your partner plays, basically giving away. He he will tell you what he has in his hand by the first card or two that he plays, mm-hmm. or by what he bids or does not bid on. Right, you know, exactly. If the heart is flipped over as the potential trump, I guess we should give everybody a quick yes. speed demon overview of trump style games. I think so. Yeah, we just take for granted that <laughs> so many games other than euchre use this mechanic. Um, but basically it is um, the first person, all you do is you play one card. You lead a card, and everybody else then plays one card to the center of the table. has to and match you, the suit. It has, you have to follow suit, which means you have to match. If the first player leads a heart, and you have a heart in your hand, you have to play the heart. If you don't have the heart, then you're free to throw off um, any, basically any card in your hand. It could be a card that's not Trump, and it's just... Oh, can, what you're considering to be a worthless card. Yeah, a slough off. Is a what slough, they would call exactly. That. Or it can be a trump card um, that would actually, like if the trump were spades. Then the then, spade is the highest suit in Right, in the, the lowest game. spade, which would be a nine, can actually beat any other card, any other suit. So any heart, any diamond, any club. That nine of spades is going to defeat any of those. Of course, we're leaving out the bower stuff, but we don't really want to confuse you right off the bat because that tends to really um, <laughs> yeah the fact that the if you haven't played a trump style game the concept of trump is a little dicey at first so we'll get that out of the way and then we'll get to the weirdness we'll of the, euchre the bowers and all that stuff but that's basically in a nutshell um after all four people have played their cards um basically the highest value card of the lead suit barring the boring trump barring the fact that any trump has been played tonight will win the trick Whoever wins the trick will lead the next for the next trick. And um, in in euchre, every person has five cards, so, so there's, there's a five possibility tricks. of five tricks. And the object is to get three of the five, so your team can score a point. And you're trying to be the first team to get to ten points. Right. There's obviously other there's ways that you can score more than that single point. Um, if you can take all um, five, all five, you can get two points. There's a lot of there's. Bajillions of local, vari- local variations. You know, you can go alone and get four points. You can take your partner's best card and go alone and only get this many points. You can, um, if you, that's the other thing I guess we, that we forget to mention that you can um, bid for how many tricks you think you're going to take. Um, or no, for the Trump. Yeah. Actually, you're... If you're the one to call the Trump, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> if you're the one that gets to make the Trump, the decision of, you know, Trump is going to be hearts. Mm-hmm. Then basically you're saying my my hand is strong enough in hearts that I will take three out of the five tricks minimum. Mm-hmm. If you don't get that, then the other team sets you, you know, quote unquote, sets you, and well, it's going to get two points. And that's where the name of the game comes euchred. from, which is you're euchred. euchred. Exactly. You've been euchred if your opponents say they're going to get three tricks and you're able to get three or more then they've gone set or been euchred, and you get two points. So you can actually score by your opponent screwing up, Yep. (laughs) in other words. Which is, that's that's kind of a, it's not totally unique to euchre, but it's a fairly unique kind of mechanic, I think. Yep, especially Um, to card games of that style. Yeah. Definitely. Um, 
Now uh, we definitely have to touch upon the Bowers because it wouldn't be Euchre without. Right. <laughs> and this is everybody I teach just goes, what? <laughs> and they just scratched their head forever. I'll let you explain it. So um, in a normal Trump-style game, the suits are ranked just like they would be in a poker deck or any other kind of standard card game where ace is the high going down to the lowest card in, in the deck. In this case, it's the nine in Euchre. Um, however, in Euchre... The ace is not the high card in the Trump suit. The jack of the suit, which has been named Trump, is actually the highest card of Trump, and it is called the right bower. So if hearts were Trump, for instance, the jack of hearts is higher than the ace of hearts. But wait, there's more. <laughs> in addition to the right bower, there is a left bower that is also higher than the ace, but lower than the right bower. So if you were ranking cards in order of uh, their importance, it would be right bower, left, left bower, bower, ace, ace king, king, queen, ten, nine. You just skip right over the jacks because they've jumped to the top of the order. Right. What exactly is the left bower, you might ask? <laughs> this is where people go, what? <laughs> the left bower is the jack of the other suit of the matching color. So let's go back to our example. The jack of hearts is the right bower. The jack of diamonds would be the left bower. The ace of hearts, king of hearts, queen of hearts, ten of hearts, nine of hearts. There you have your trump suit. It's very confusing if someone has not played this game before very. because you have to, you're constantly having to remember that the suit of the card is not necessarily where it's going to end up. It might You might have a random jack in your hand that suddenly becomes instantly more valuable right. if that suit has been named Trump. Um, the, or if the other color of that suit has been named Trump, more to the point. That, that's the tricky thing is to remember that if, you, um, if you'd made it hearts and I had the jack of diamonds, I, that's actually a heart. It counts as a heart. And so when somebody plays a heart, you have to remember... That is a heart in my hand. If I am forced to follow suit, you know, yes. if I play a heart, I'll need to play this. Same thing goes if I lead this, it's a heart, and other people have, have to, to play, play hearts. And a lot of people find that very hard. To... And the cool thing is that even though there's only six cards in each suit, once Trump has been called, there's actually seven Trumps. Yes. You know, that extra weight, you know, the Trump suit, there's seven of them, which a lot of the strategy, um, strategy in the game is that if you can, if you can be the one to be in control, yes. you know, that just that the extra percentage of having seven cards to, right. is enough to even without great cards mm -hmm. take over the top and win win the hand. It's a it's a mainstay of the spiel. We're here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and it is a mainstay of almost every Hoosier household. Yeah. It's to me, it was a rite of passage. I can remember my grandfather sitting down with me at the age of like maybe eight or nine and saying. Son, it's time for you to learn Euchre, and you're going to have to be my partner. And to me, that's the most enjoyable aspect of, of Euchre is the partner play it's and awesome. how much it, you're completely uh, – if you're going to succeed well at Euchre, you have to form this sort of psychic link between each yep. other and understand the style of how each other are going to play your cards to really – um, maximize your ability to, to get yourself out of jams or to maybe make a few points when you might have kind of marginal cards 
there's all kinds of not not like cheating signals, Absolutely but just no cheating. figuring out how each other plays because there's there's certain people who play in a particular manner and and to me that was the joy of being a little eight year old and watching my grandfather you know call Trump on a queen nine of hearts <laughs> and so. somehow make it. I have no clue <laughs> how he could make it and and to me that that's what sets this game apart from others and it's so fast you can sit down and you know that it was oh. the it was the game of every school lunchroom i've ever been in yep. from elementary school oh. through college that you could sit down and tournaments play from the time i was 8 till you know till now yeah you know i mean and the the other fun thing is even though i don't necessarily agree with all the the variants and the extra rules there are more rules <laughs> and variants yes then, you know, probably not any more than any other local time. What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite, like, either not even rule, but a little, like, euchre tradition or some, well, my, like, local like the goofiest is of... not a rule, but the goofiest is a, is a little, um, oh, what's the right word? Um, superstition? Superstition, exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> is that you have to set your team, in order to have a better chance to win, needs to set parallel to the bathtub in the particular house that you're playing in. <laughs> I'm serious. That's if you hilarious. make sure that you got that your team is parallel to the tub, <laughs> you're in like Flint. <laughs> you know, that's just one of the goofy things that I've always thought. And trust me, I have never I heard sure. that one either. <laughs> do you have a, a, a fun one at all? I do. Um, do you know about sprouting points? Oh yeah. Yep. That's you that's a sprout the point. So um, you play to ten, right? You have two cards, the six and the four. That you ha you can't use the ten. You have to use the six and the four if you're playing euchre in our house. And you know oh, which one goes on top, and right? Of course, yeah. You've got to put. Uh, you can't put the heavy one on top, so you've got to put the four <laughs> on top of the six. Exactly. Um, but we generally will pick out usually the spades. Yeah. Um, as our um, counter cards to keep score. So if you score one point, you just expose one of the spades, one of the pips. On the, on the, card. the card to show that you've got one point. Well, in order to encourage more points to grow on your team, of course, you have to slide the little... Yeah, you let the tip of the spade just peek out you know, or so it's, sprout. It's sprouting. Exactly. So, um, so that's one of my favorites. The other one I have is um, you never want to be caught between the two scorecards. That's really bad luck. Exactly. So, you know, if somebody tries to move, they'll be sly about it and move their scorecards over so you're... You know, bookended between the two of them, you've got to make sure your scorecard goes to the other and, end of the table, or right. you're doomed. It doesn't matter what cards you get, you're gonna. And I lose. love when you only need one point to win. You're <laughs> you're in the bar. Yes, in the bar. You're yeah. in the bar. Or, or mooing. Or mooing. Exactly. I've heard mooing too. We're uh, we're showing our hip nature here. <laughs> but, you know, this is a good game, and you shouldn't let the fact that it might have a little a little redneck root to it stop right. you from playing it because it's a quality. Game. And I think a lot of people out there, we kind of assume that a lot of people know about it, but I think there are a lot of people out there who don't. I think there's more that don't than do. Yeah. Definitely. So that was Euchre. Seek it out. You can play it with any deck of cards. All you have to do is just take out the twos through eights, and you right. can play this game. Rules are everywhere. You can play it online. And it's not that one, one game and the Bauer thing will be very easy. Yes, yes. You know, it's just a little wacky at the beginning, but since there are so few cards... And since it plays so quick, the learning curve is mm -hmm. pretty small. Yeah. So another how could we go this many episodes without yeah. mentioning probably one of the first, if not the first game ever invented. Game number two in the back shelf spotlight is Backgammon. Backgammon. Um, 
it's probably four to five thousand years old. There's right. definitely evidence within um, literature, both oral and written literature, right. um, to support the fact that um, backgammon was played as long as five thousand years ago. Um, and physical proof. Physical recently. proof recently up to four thousand years ago that they've actually found uh, backgammon boards in was it Iran? I think it was or, Iran. Yep, exactly. Um, the, in what the ancient town of Ur. They found uh, boards in the 1920s um, that weren't even as old as these most recent discoveries right. um, that obviously are lending credence to the fact that uh, this game is almost as old as human civilization itself, right. which to me, uh, it, you know, it's heartening to think of the fact that we humans have been game players from the beginning. Right. That where there have been humans, there have been, been games. games. That they're almost, you can't separate the two. Yeah. You know, there are other trappings of civilization that have come since, but the the game was just, right there just at the, the beginning. Basic competition between people. The, yes. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've had a need to do that since. In an entertaining and non sort of right. non violent necessarily right. way that you can sit down and have a contest of wits. Um, that that was important to people. We tend to think of ourselves as being so advanced or whatever, <laughs> but we were interested in these same kinds of ideas and challenges 5,000 years ago. It's just and amazingly cool to me. As far as backhand goes, with very, with very few changes over yes. those 4,000 years, yes. we are darn near playing the exact same game as they played 4,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? There, there obviously were differences. Yes. But at its, at its core, I mean, it's very similar still. Mm-hmm. Which is I, awesome. The other cool thing is how wide it spread. That you know there are versions in Asia oh, as well right. as China, as well as you know here in the, the Americas now and in Europe. That um, you know, they've played it in what was the Roman name? I have it written here. Oh, that's think. the best. Is that the best one? Oh, I can't find it on my sheet. Of Aaliyah. Things. Oh well, or no. It started off as Ludus. Um, the, the Duodecim Scriptorium. Or yes, something that's like it. That. That's it. You got it. Duodecim <laughs> Scriptorium. Yeah. Um, but then um, it went on to uh, be called Aliyah later, which we thought was rather awesome. ironic because yeah. there's a German game company uh, called Aliyah that we, until looking into backgammon here this week, we were like, well, hello. Wow. <laughs> the name Aliyah makes perfect sense now for this exactly. game company. <laughs> they're, they're called, I mean, their name is basically associated with one of the earliest games, No <laughs> Demand, which is. A beautiful name for a game company. <laughs> if you're going to hitch your star to a game, you might yeah. as well do it with Backgammon. Exactly. So perhaps enough waxing poetic about Sweet. Backgammon. For those few out there, Alan, you know <laughs> I'm talking to you. <laughs> my friend Alan, we were trying to play games online, and I said, oh, well, why don't we play Backgammon? And much to my surprise, he had no idea how to play Backgammon. Incredible. It was just... I just assumed that he knew how to play backgammon. Go buy a board. <laughs> I think I know what he's getting for his next birthday exactly. or Christmas. So you um, you want me to give the little rundown on backgammon here? Yeah, or go you for it. Um, so you've got, it's a board game. You play with uh, little round pieces, generally speaking, these days. Uh, the original ones, I don't even know if they were the same size or shape, but they call them checkers. They call them checkers or blots, I guess blots, is the other exactly. name for them. The board consists of, uh, let's see, 24 yep. triangles of two different colors or patterns. It, right. They it alternate. Varies. They alternate in this pattern across the board in a bar that separates um, the board in half. Um, the 
board is configured in such a way that you're trying to move the majority of your checkers around the board by rolling dice. You roll two dice to move your pieces um, and to get them into your home base. Once you've gotten all of your checkers into your home base, then you roll dice and try to bear the checkers off um, into your little holding area, and the first person to do so wins the game. Um, there's a little more strategy to it than that, though, because rolling the dice, you can either move one checker, the sum of the two dice, or you could move two checkers, the totals, you know, die. one for each one. So if you rolled a three and a four, one could move three and the other could move four. Where it gets challenging, though, is your opponent is moving in the opposite direction of you. He's moving one way on his colored, um, you know, his color of checkers around the board, and you're moving the opposite way. If you're ever in a position where you have a single checker um, exposed on one of the triangles, if your opponent rolls a number and is able to land on your spot, your history. You're captured and you're put on the bar. Which is, again, in the middle of the board, and you have to, in order to re-enter, you have to go back to the very farthest spot away from your home to get your checker and onto the board. the whole distance of the board, exactly. So if you get captured clo um, close to the home... That's, that's the worst that's situation. The, exactly. You have to basically start all over. You've wasted all the moves on that one, you know, that one checker. But that kind of, what you just talked about right there, put it on the bar and having to bring it back in is a guess as to why it's called backgammon. Mm -hmm. That's back and game. Right, and they think that that's a you know that that's why it was called that game for the specific reason of having to bring things back, bring things <laughs> back exactly. Um, the the only other I guess maybe slight rule thing that I skipped is if a if a triangle is covered by at least two pieces of your opponent's piece, you can't land on it at all. You can only land on open triangles. So much of the strategy is involved around protecting your territory by right. covering as many spots with at least two checkers so that it makes it very difficult for your opponent to either get out of a jam if he's been put on the bar or um, likewise to, to start from his home spot and to move move back around. Um, the other actual um, really cool thing about backgammon is that it's a great gambling awesome. game awesome. as well. And that's really the biggest modern invention in addition right, to the game is the doubling um, cube right which i didn't realize was such a modern thing no, when was it 20s the 20s Something really like yeah right I mean, that's uh, so a, maybe you should talk about that for a minute yeah the doubling cube is awesome basically when you're um as you start each game of backgammon if you're going to be gambling it's worth a single point or worth one game there's a doubling cube which basically is a six-sided die that um you can just change the face on this, there's a 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, and a 64. So at, at a, any point in the game, if you feel, before you roll your dice on one of your turns, if you feel like your situation is better than your opponent's, you can offer them the doubling cube and bump it up to the next value. If you're currently at a value of just one, you would hand them the doubling cube with, with the, two. the two facing up, and now the game is going to be worth two. Your opponent at that point has a has a choice. Does he say, yes, let's continue this game at a value of two, or no, I don't think I have a chance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give in and let you, let you win this game at the original value it was, which was one. Mm -hmm. And um, if 
if you were to hand this to me and I would accept it at two, now from this point on, I'm the only one who can, at a later point in time, hand it back to you and offer to um, put the game to a value of four. Right. And then you can come back to me at eight and then 16 and 32 and off. On to sixty four. How this relates to the gambling aspect is you you sit down to play backgammon and you say, okay, Dave, we're going to play for a nickel a nickel a point or a nickel a game. Nickel a game. So the base value of any particular game of backgammon is going to be five cents. But the minute that he hands me that doubling cube, it could be a dime, <laughs> a dime. or twenty cents, or right. Forty or eighty or dollar <laughs> sixty. It gets crazy, and that is not the only way to double the value of the game. Right. Um, just winning, there's three conditions with which you can win the game. You can just outright win the game by burying all of your checkers off first, or you can get a double game, which is called a gammon. Right. And the stipulation for that is that you get all your pieces off the board before your opponent gets any pieces off, which is pretty tough. Yeah, yeah. And then, believe it or not, there's um, backgammon, which is the a name triple of the game. game. <laughs> Which is, I've never backgammoned anybody. I, yeah, I've never come close. Um, but what that is, is you have all your pieces off the board. Your opponent did not get any of their pieces off, and one of their pieces is, is on the bar. all the way back, either on the bar or still in your home table, <laughs> which is just crazy. But that would be worth a triple game. So if you can imagine a game being worth as little as a nickel at the start, and then maybe being doubled as many as 64 times, and, and then, then possibly being tripled. That nickel can be kind of crazy. <laughs> That's why Dave and I play for a nickel a game and not $5 a game. <laughs> right, because when we sit down to do something like if we're going to gamble, I mean, we might play three, four hours. Oh, yeah. With, with a game that each each game, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? Pro- yeah, if So that. we're playing a lot of games yeah. over I'm, the course. I'm slow, way slower than Dave. Dave has played a lot more backgammon than me in, in his life, but but... It's still even even given my slowness, ten oh, fifteen it, minutes tops. Even if I'm having a it's, moment, it's quick. There's you you wouldn't believe that there's as much strategy as there is because you are rolling dice. Mm-hmm. You know um, the, the dreaded king of all random generators, right? You know, but knowing exactly what to do with every single roll, right, you know, is the key. You know? I guess that's the one thing we didn't mention is doubles. Rolling doubles right. in the game. There's the doubling cube, which is a separate issue altogether. If you roll doubles, like if you roll two sixes in the course of playing the game, um, you not only get to move two, you get basically double the moves. So if you roll two sixes, you get to move four sixes. Right. It's as if you had four die, four dice there, each showing a six. A six. Um, so a lot of the time, the player who rolls more doubles is. Right. More like more likely or not, going to be in a better position to win. They don't always win, but it certainly puts you in a yeah. really good position yeah. to it's win. It's like a free turn. Every yeah. time you roll doubles, it's a free turn. Um, so that's definitely uh, uh, worth mentioning, and definitely a part of the strategy of knowing how to move when you get those doubles and how right. to put yourself. You know, there are slow games and fast games, and Dave tends to like to leave a lot of his pieces back to try to. I to love the back stomp game. on. Yep. <laughs> The, the single pieces left in his home territory to try it's, to stack it up tight. It's fun to try, yeah, on the section of the board where you're bearing your pieces off, just to load that up so that it's completely blocked. Leave a piece behind, capture one of your opponents. In this case, they can't bring it in yeah. because they can't 
you're blocking the one through the six pip. They can't bring it in. And, and you're so just you bearing just, off. You can just right take as many free turns as you possibly can until they can come back in. And it, <laughs> it doesn't happen very often because most intelligent players don't let that happen <laughs> yeah. to them. But it's, when it does, it's fun. <laughs> I tend to like the race games better myself just because I don't have this luck with you as much as I do with Francie or other people. But I am like the doubles king with everybody but you. <laughs> I, I tend to roll doubles like out the wazoo. And so I just try to get my pieces around your last piece. So then the reason we call it a race is once your pieces are sort of separated to the point where they can't capture each other, then it just comes down to how high a numbers can you roll to get right. your pieces off the board as fast as you can. And, and I, I at least win more when I play that way, it seems like. I don't know that it, that's this, good this, sound uh, strategy. This kind of like Uger also has a lot of variants. You know, yes. AC Deucey, Captain's Pieces, um, and there's also a lot of different setups. Yes. Remember that one Greek setup oh, we yeah. saw? Oh, yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. I don't remember yeah, the name of it. Rather than typically, we won't even try to explain the setup. Oh, good game Because you really need to see a picture. If you yeah, we'll played. include pictures um, in the show notes. And but then... the, the board starts off with pieces all over the board in different places. Well, this one variant that we know of that they play <laughs> in Greek, and I can't think of the name of it. Start with Every S, single piece starts as far away from the home from where you're trying to get as possible, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You and know? you don't capture and other you don't people's capture, pieces. You block, you block them. them. So in or in, instead of knocking it onto the bar, you can just sit there and sit on someone's piece sit on their and just say, what was, that? Gonna... what was that if, if it's their... Their last mother. piece trying to get out of the home is their mother piece. Yeah, their mother piece. Sitting on the mother. Sitting, sitting on, on your mother. mother. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> we won't even get into the beaver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's and funny. There's I a bunch of cool nicknames, just like otter. Just like all the stuff we were talking about in the Euchre. There's all kinds of crazy Imagine stuff. Imagine a game that's been around for 5,000 yeah, years with that many sort of anachronisms and things. Right. You know, there's just tons of them. I'll definitely include some links to okay, really cool back, the backgammon glossary. It was a really okay. fun one to look yeah, through um, online, and you'll get to see just how <laughs> how crazy people are over this ancient but classic game. If you haven't checked out either Euchre or Backgammon, you've got to do it. They're they're both. They should be on your list. If they're not on your right. list, check them off soon because they're worth it. Okay, so I guess it's my uh, turn. Da, da, da. This is. As bad, if not worse, <laughs> than yours, uh, than your last one. So you know, I've just I'm just flailing around here, and you know, the only thing that came to mind just is exactly what we've been talking about is just their age, just that they're both games that have been around for like over two hundred years. So that's like the closest. <laughs> that, that's my guess for the connection between that's, the two games. So that's a good guess. It's my connection is completely insane. <laughs> I would expect nothing less. Cool. Well, in a Euchre deck, how many cards are there? 24. Oh, how many, how many spaces are there on a backgammon board? <laughs> you rat. 24. You rat. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. I love it. <laughs> just the number 24 just jumped out at me when I saw <laughs> these games and picked that as a connection. It's... Kind of a scary connection, but... I love those kind of ones, because they just, you know, after you see them, you're like, oh, I'm such a dumbass. How did I miss that? Big 24. I couldn't believe when I saw them. I'm like, wait, cool. But that's my connection. I like it. I if like anybody it. out there actually thought of that, awesome. Yeah. Easy to think of, but really hard 
if you're trying to figure out yeah. if somebody else thought of that. <laughs> but if you have other suggestions for connections of games or things that you'd like to put in to maybe quiz other people who are listening to the spiel, um, send us a, an email at steven at thespiel.net or dave at thespiel.net and let us know because we'd certainly like to oh, hear love to hear what you from, think. Yeah. <laughs> Proploads of Goober. The best of all <laughs> segments in this field is, of course, truckloads of Goober. Now, you know, I usually get to describe to people what truckloads of Goober is. That's right. But this time, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna bestow <laughs> the honor honor upon me on you. I'm gonna let you. <laughs> So Dave has an interesting turn of phrase, as you've probably noticed in the first five episodes. One of the first phrases that I can remember is truckloads of goober. Dave's definition goes something like this. Goober can either mean lots of components within a game or high quality or unique components within a game. So if Dave were to come up to you and say, you've got to look at this game. This game's got truckloads of goober. It it could be the weight of the game, the sheer volume of the game, because it's got just a massive amount of pieces, or it could be this one really cool piece that just makes the game stand apart. Truckloads of Goover, the segment, is a segment that um, is here to celebrate the, the stuffness of games, the stuff that makes games really cool. Um, and it could be the amount of stuff, the uniqueness of the stuff, or the quality of the stuff. Any one of those things can enhance a game and can make an average game great or can make a great game sublime. Right. Um, so what's on the list this week here for Truckloads of Goober? Well, the game this week is called Balsack Sack Noir, which is just <laughs> fun to say, yes. regardless of whether it's got truckloads of goober or not. Yes, yes. Um, it does bring up the bad you know, <laughs> jokes about playing with Dave's Balsack, but... <laughs> You know, there's just no way around it. Exactly. It has to be said. It's got to be said. Um, now, this particular, the version that we picked is Sac Noir, which is basically your the black, black. sack. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, this so. game came out in 1987. The designer is um, Klaus Zach. I'm not sure how Zach. Yeah, it's either Zach or Zach. I don't know Zach, which. Right. And um, the publisher is Zach Verlag, which is obviously some type. I should have looked that it's up. It's one to of find the. Out. It's one of the. First German game companies, I think, that started this kind of renaissance of German of game the, right. things. Um, two day players, playing time is forty five minutes. The That's game can cost between eighty and a hundred dollars. Yeah, brace yourself. It's not a because cheap one. There, it comes with the Sac Noir version. Comes with basically a hundred wooden pieces of every shape and size. You can possibly imagine. <laughs> it's a manual dexterity game of stacking. And you are trying but to... But this ain't no Jenga. Let's get that right no, out this, the opening here no, to begin with. No, this isn't just a bunch of square rectangle pieces. <laughs> this is every shape that you could possibly imagine. <laughs> Including an egg? An egg. Um, a Christmas tree. Um Three-dimensional we're talking three, yeah, here, like, you know, rounded pieces or part of the course. A goblet, a miniature yeah. goblet. Um, and there's some sort of, like, chopsticky type thing, some long, slender thing. Yeah, there, there's, there's um, like, these little, there's one that looks like a dog turd. 
<laughs> yep, you know, totally I right. mean, there's and some of it looks like the old blocks you would used to play with in elementary school, and other ones are just insane. Cones. There's some cones. There's a lot of cones. There that have like you know they're not pointy. They've kind of been chopped off, so there's a little tiny <laughs> flat spot on the top. There's Most things of these have with, a little flat area on some part of them. Some and, of, and the egg doesn't obviously. There's but. stuff with holes. There's hollow things. There's stuff with recesses. There's stuff with dimples. <laughs> I mean, they've gone got the full gamut of shapes in here, and the object of there's a lot of variations, but Basically, the object in each of the variations is that you're going to get, on your turn, you're going to pick a piece, and you're going to have to stack it. The first piece you play is your base. So you want okay. to pick something nice and wide That's and your flat. Every piece from that point on has to be built on top of that, whether it be round or tall or short or fat or skinny. Mm -hmm. And the, the things that you can actually erect out of these pieces are well, and part correct me if I'm wrong, but part of it is you pick your base, but every piece thereafter, your opponent picks for you, unless you pay, is with the beans. There's, there's right? a bunch of different okay. variation that we like the best okay. is the auction variation, right? Where somebody picks a piece and puts it up for auction. Um, there's two types of pieces in Balsack. Um, there's evil. Mean nasty peaches, which are red. That's right. That's and right. then there's the regular pieces, which are black in the sac noir version and wood tone colored in the standard version. Um, so some on their turn, somebody will pick a piece and put it up for au auction. If it's the standard um, piece, then you you're gonna bid a number of beans if you would like to place it on your particular monstrosity <laughs> that you're building. Um, however, if it's one of the evil red pieces. You're going to be bidding to not take it, you know, which is crazy. Somebody yeah. can see that you're in a situation where you might not be able to build this piece, and you don't really have any currency left. Which the currency in this game are beans, Little beans, they, and they literally really beans. are beans. <laughs> um, they might stick you with the dreaded egg, yes, <laughs> which or is a very cone. common. Um, but it, this game is. I love that aspect to it yeah. too. It totally makes it different than a lot of those other stacking right. games that you don't have as much control over what you're building. You know, it's hard enough to build with these pieces, but then somebody hands you an egg and says, okay, fit that on your little <laughs> tower there, mister. Yeah, it's it's great. And I don't know if we... I did say the 100 pieces, right? That's yes, why, you did. Yes, you did. That's why it's in... It's just a big bag of wood. Mm-hmm. Goober, it is, you know... Uber the, goober. <laughs> Uber goober. Big time. Extraordinaire. Exactly. And this, um, <laughs> I think... um. We didn't. We didn't write down that um, you can get this through the the um, distributor is Rio Grande Games. Oh right, yeah. Um, and so you can get that through Rio Grande at your favorite store and or online place. And it's it's worth. If, if I'd say it's worth if you want. If you were going to buy one stacking game, right? If you only had money for one, and you want to invest in a really good one. Forget Jenga. Right. Toss that out right. the window. Go out and get the Germans love their stacking games. There's <laughs> yeah. other; they have other good ones. They uh, like Villa Paletti and Hamster Roll. Yeah, and some other stuff. There are but, some good ones, but and, to and me, they're good. But this one is the Cadillac. Yeah, it's got it's got everything that those has, plus more. Yeah, um, it's the little black Cadillac, little black Cadillac <laughs> with beans. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the game sommelier, or right game, right crowd. Like matching the perfect vintage with a delicious meal, 
The Game Sommelier finds the right game for any crowd, age, experience, or personality. Each week, one of us must pick five games to meet a fiendish challenge. Each week, one of us must earn the right, the honor to be called the Game Sommelier. Here's Stephen with this week's challenge. So Dave's challenge last time, it was a little scenario here, so bear with me. So Dave's an eighth grader, let's say. I know it's not really I was hard to, to well, stretch. Actually, I was an eighth you grade know, he's like four or five times. But. <laughs> so he's an eighth grader. He's got to do a book report for his class on a famous novel. But instead of doing the typical boring speech, he decides to find a game based on a book and to use that to illustrate and explain the story by teaching his class how to play. So his challenge was to find five games based on books where the story is deeply rooted in the mechanic or the process of playing the game. No pasted on themes, no game that's just got a name of a book but has no real relation to the book whatsoever. In other words, the teacher in this classroom would have to be able to tell that he actually read the game by read the, the fact that he chose by... or read the book by by actually the game that he chooses. So I realize, you know, he might come across the table and smack me here <laughs> because that was no small feat. But I'm interested to see what uh, he's come up with. So without further ado, Dave, cool. go for it. What do you got for me? Well, I'm, the first two are going to be gimmies. After that, it's yeah. going to get interesting. Yeah, okay. Okay, so the first one I picked is The Hobbit. The game by Fantasy Flight came out in 2001. Um, two to six players, ages 10 and up, but we've played it. It should really be at a much younger age because it, <laughs> yeah. it was a very light game. Yeah. Um, this game, uh, the reason why I picked this is basically you're taking on, um, as a player, you're becoming Bilbo, basically. And you're going to travel the same through the same areas as Bilbo did in The Habit. You're going to go through the edge of the wild, the Misty Mountains, Mirkwood, um, all to work your way towards the Lonely Mountain to meet up with Smog, you know, and try and battle him for his treasure. Um, along the way, you're obviously going to get help from Gandalf. He's going to be giving you all kinds of little goodies right. and help. You're also going to meet a lot of cool people, Lord of the Eagles, um, Thorin Oakenshield, Bjorn, <laughs> Elrond, which if anybody's read the novel, all this stuff should sound familiar. very familiar. Very familiar. And that's why I picked this game. Can't argue with that one. Thumbs up. You keep going. Cool. Number two. Not unlike number one, The Lord of the Rings. I was going to say, could I guess this one? <laughs> and it is also a fantasy flight game. Came out in 2000. Two to five players, or three to six if you use any of the any expansions. Of the many expansions. Um, it is ages 12 and up, so stretching the... Um, how old are you in eighth grade? You're, no, that's, that's you're fine. Okay. You're like you're like thirteen, fourteen. Cool. I was like fifteen or sixteen. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, that one room schoolhouse. That you but I, exactly. But I picked this for the same reasons that I picked the Hobbit. Um, in this game, the players take the part of not just Frodo, but any of the hobbits that were involved. Um, right. In, which is Frodo, Sam, Pippin, Merry, or Fatty. Um, <laughs> And they're going to travel through Rivendell, Moria, Lothlorien, Helm's Deep, Shalob's Lair, and finally on to Mordor, where you're, they're going to destroy the ring. This game is awesome at following the storyline of the book verbatim. I mean, yes, you yes. feel like you're going through the story in this. 
every character, every item, every scenario. And now with, I know we talked just in the last podcast about the new expansion coming out for this Battlefield. It's going to bring the battles into it, which is one thing that it was missing in the storyline, you know, that was missing in the game. With that, this thing is, is complete. If you play this game, you're going to know the book. Yeah. I mean, there's just no way around it. Yeah, I again, I mean, yes, obviously, I, I could not have thought of this challenge without thinking of this right. game in particular, especially because to me, of the sort of those modern ilk, it fits the, um, not only the mechanics of the game, but because it's a cooperative game and you're working against the game itself or if someone is playing Sauron against, you know, right. Dark, Dark Lord, the feeling of impending doom... Yeah from almost the beginning of the game uh, permeates the whole experience of playing the game. And to me, that's right. just so awesome that they've been able right. to capture some of that emotion of right. the book and actually translate that into an interactive experience where you're playing with other people. Right. And there comes a point in time where you have to sacrifice yourselves, in most cases, to try to... to allow the whole Better group the to one one right. hobbit to win some of the others might have to sacrifice themselves i mean it's just the lessons of the book are well alive it's absolutely thumbs up cool cool all okay. right so now it gets interesting now we get into huh? the ones that okay. you probably get may my, have been thinking of or my school like, marm okay my next pick is around the world in 80 days wonderful book wonderful game um it's a game that came out by rio grande and cosmos 2004 um, three to six players, ages 10 and up. I picked this one because um, the players are the characters. They're members of the London Club. Right. And obviously there's been a challenge to try and travel around the world in 80 days or less. And, of course, you're going to accept this challenge. Um, the board is awesome. The locations are straight out of the book. Paris, Brindisi, Bombay, Calcutta, Hong yeah. Kong, San Francisco, New York. That line um, up with the chapters of the book, even exact, as far as where uh, they the, go. The modes of travel, by train, by boat, by balloon, by elephant. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the overzealous, uh, overzealous detective fix. <laughs> Always on your heels, trying to, you know, basically hold you up. Um, the game basically is the book. Yeah. Um, and it plays, it has some great little strategies in it. Um, the components are fun. This, i that's about all I need to say. Was, yeah, I, I, it follows again. The, the book great. You're you're claiming this was so hard, but you're batting a thousand <laughs> so far. I mean, it, you could use it. I mean, I could see a teacher using it as like a teaching tool oh. to to you know you could read and sort of play through parts of the game along with you know with young ones. I mean, even because it's oh, not yes, a super right. complicated nope. game. Nope. Where yeah. some of these other ones, I mean, The Hobbit's definitely The Hobbit was young, young, but Lord, Lord of the Rings, Rings is a little tougher game. That would not be one that you could just but throw this, at. This any. drops back down to being an introductory game. <laughs> yes, you know, it's a great game. Thumbs up, definite. Yes, sweet. Three of three. Three of three. Woo-hoo! Two more to go here. Okay, how's it gonna end here? Number four, Beowulf. Um, brand new, not won't say we're in 2006. Came out in 05. It is also Fantasy Flight and Cosmos. It's a two to five players, ages 12 and up. Um, in this one, the players are playing the part of um, people who are accompanying Beowulf on his many journeys and adventures to try and help him out along the way. 
um, and it follows the story of Beowulf. He's going to set sail to Denmark, um, where he's going to meet King Hrothgar. Is that how? Yeah, Hrothgar. Yeah. Okay. And they're going to have to battle Grendel. You know, they defeat Grendel, and then Grendel's mother, the sea hag, you know, (laughs) (laughs) is going to come up and attack. You're going to have to set off and hunt for her. Talk about sitting on your mother. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess uh, I would say Beowulf definitely fits. I have a little bit of a beef with uh, Mr. Knizia. He takes a little (laughs) bit of liberty with extending the game beyond the Beowulf story, which I think he could have designed, structured the game around just the Beowulf story, if you're going to call it. Beowulf rather right. than sort of inventing or mushing in these other exactly. sort of medieval texts that aren't necessarily attributed to Beowulf, the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would have been more cool to have maybe expanded upon that. But bottom line is it definitely still fits the the challenge that I put before you, and cool. you could definitely tell if someone had had read the story by playing this game. So, so awesome. thumbs up Woo-hoo. with a little bit of eh. Okay, that's four eh. <laughs> okay, my final pick, fifth game, um, is Dracula. Um, the Fury of, which is a games, an old games workshop game from 1987. Um, I picked this one also because even though it's an older game, this is something people are going to be able to get because a new version um, just right. came out That's from right. Fantasy Flight in 06. Um, I haven't seen it, so I don't know how it compares, obviously, component-wise, we're talking 1987. Yeah. <laughs> All you got was a little board and a bunch of cardboard counters. So now the components are probably pretty cool. But this is a two to four player game, ages 12 and up. Um, one player is Dracula, the other players are the, the vampire hunters Dr. Seward, Lord Godalming, and Professor Van Helsing. Um, and basically, Dracula is going to be traveling all over. Um, I believe he, he gets found out at London and he's fleeing from London. Through Bordeaux, Lisbon, Milan, Hamburg, Rome. Um, I'm not sure if in the book he actually he has a cat. He has his own castle. Sure. And so he's basically in the game. I think he doesn't really want to get trapped in his castle, but that's basically what ends up happening. Okay. Um, so the, it's cool. The the hunters are using r- rumors from the local areas to help them track down Dracula. They have. Um, Garlic, steaks, holy water, dogs, the whole gamut of the weapons that you would expect them to be able to use. But Dracula is going to be using a um, trail. He's, he leaves a trail of vampires and rats and bats. And I've never known how to pronounce slasny, like zombie type. Oh, right. Um, I can't think how to do that. But um, having, this is the one having not read this book, but having seen you every... You never read Dracula? No. Oh, wow. Having seen all the movies and having played a myriad of games, yeah. um, these all go hand in hand with everything I'm familiar with. As yeah. far as the original Stoker... Is it Stoker or Stroke? Stoker. Stoker book. Oh, Stoker. Um, I know that this this puts me in a great mood of... You know, vampire esque things when I'm playing this game. Okay. And, and I hope that it follows close enough that, um, at, at least with the characters, the locations, and stuff like that, that this would qualify. Okay. I have to think about this for a second. I think <laughs> that uh, do the um, are do the women figure into the game at all? Lucy and the, 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 the other um, Harker, um, um, what's, Jonathan Harker, and what's Lucy. His, 
Um, is it Lucy uh, Harker? Um, I mean, what is? I can't think of her maiden name. Mina. Right. Mina. Mina. Yeah. Mina the, and the Lucy. The whole and... basis is that um, the hunters are using her diary or her what she's written about Dracula to try and as a basis of hunting him. You know, okay. as a basis of finding him. Okay. There's actually excerpts from her diary or her journal um, that are in the rules to this that are really cool throughout the rules that kind of give you little mm-hmm. insights as to what was happening at this particular But they point. don't, do the, those don't figure into the game, though, in any um, way? Or do there, they... there are some cards. Oh, okay. Because um, there, there's a tons of action cards. There's nighttime you know, <laughs> actions for okay. you know night and actions for day. I've played it, but it's been so it's, long right, that I can't time. remember the game specifically enough to, uh-huh. other than, you know, you, that you did a really good job describing it. Um, I guess I'll, I have to err on the side of fairness and give Woo-hoo. you a thumbs up <laughs> on it. I, I'm more, way more familiar with the book than I am this game because I haven't uh, okay. played it since 1987. <laughs> exactly. But, um, the fact remains that even if the, that kind of stuff is in the rules, in the process, you know, the kind of challenge I set up, the process of explaining the game to the other classmates or whatever, you're certainly going to be using that kind of stuff, like the nice right. diary stuff like that. So it definitely, um, even if it sounds like it might be sort of um, taking place, like not necessarily with the story as it was told in the, the book, but kind of doing a what if. Uh, scenario based on, but still using the characters in the, right. in the book in a in a kind of interesting way. Cool. Um, that I can definitely you, you can make a case for that. I grudgingly cool. grudgingly <laughs> have to give you the thumbs up. So there you've done it. You got the perfect score on <laughs> on the hardest challenge yet. So that that was tough. congratulations. Cool. Thank you're, you. You're safe as the game sommelier <laughs> till till next. You are challenged. I hate to even ask what my challenge is. Well, we'll, be. we'll see. This is we'll see if this ends up being easy or hard. Okay. Because I'm not sure. This is to find games. My challenge to you. Okay. Is to find games for gamers that are eventually going. Something's going to happen to every single gamer, and that is going to be that they are going to get older. Okay. And they are going to possibly be visually. And dexterously challenged, you know, by the time they're 80, right? I hope to live to 85 or 90 and to be sitting here playing every damn yeah. game we own. Welcome to the spiel. But, but exactly. <laughs> but I'm going to guess that I'm going to have trouble seeing those darn little counters mm. or manipulating those fistful of 35 cards or hearing, you know, all the other players play. So my challenge to you is to find games that aren't the stereotypical. Old people Older, games. Old people <laughs> games. You can't pick dominoes. You can't pick bridge with the little wooden card holders and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And they have to be real games that we would enjoy, meaty games that we would like to play. Okay. Because you know, these are gamers that have just done what, ha- I mean, they had to age and they are. So, and- um, just so I'm clear... These are games that they would play now, but would sort of stand the test of time, and that they could still easily play when they're like eighty. Exactly. Okay. But that the that the components and just the way that you play the game isn't inhibiting. You know if I mean? you get older and right. you have if these you physical get, right, exactly. Because you know the amount of games that we've played that 
you know, have components that are so small? Right. Or have you manipulating huge amounts of them somehow, you know, tactically? Right. So try and find some games that, you know, would still, because the the brain's still going to be up there. Right, right. You know, would still exercise that. That muscle. Without maybe (laughs) exercising the physical. (laughs) Um, But typically when you think of board games, you think that that's what they're going to do anyway. Right. You know, but if you can find some that are at the top of the list, and, something like and don't challenge you or don't like sort of highlight the other impairments. You know, you may right. be sharp as attack, but exactly. you have really bad arthritis. And so maybe even finding some that go out of their way, whether on whether purposeful or not, to address mm. those issues. You know, not some that. Okay, hmm. I haven't thought about that. That's that's interesting. That's a good that's a good challenge. We'll see what happens. I don't know what the heck I'm <laughs> going to do with that, but that's a good one. My brain's already well. The, the cool thing that. is, I go into this this challenge. I have n- no games in mind. I, <laughs> I didn't say, "Hey, there's these two or three games." So I'm inter- really interested. And in all classic out. games are off limits, right? So like, no. I mean, well, you right. said dominoes. None of no, no Rummy Cube. No. Okay. Uh, you know, just none of the basic standards stuff okay. that's out there. You know, no cribbage. Uh, no, no cribbage, no, no gargantuan cribbage. <laughs> read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They don't have to be European style, but... They have to be games that you would play now and enjoy now, exactly. but that you'd also play when you're 80, 90 years old and really enjoy. Exactly. Okay. Hmm. Okay, I'm up to it. I can do it. Awesome. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm going to do awesome. right now. If you... I hope this ends up being a good challenge. I, yeah, that that actually be a really good list to have. And, and... I, I know that both you and I have had some experience in the, um, what do you want to say, retail game business at yes. some point in time. So we've dealt with customers who have come in, and we, we all know when we get to be 60, 70, 80, we get a little crotchety, and we specifically <laughs> want certain things, and... A lot of times we weren't able to, you know, fit the bill for right. what, what they were asking for. Hopefully, I've hopefully you can right five now. Five times in a row. I've got to do it. Hell yeah. Cool. Well, I think uh, without further ado. That that kind of wraps it up, doesn't that it? That kind of wraps it up. I think we're we're doing well here and we're having fun. And I hope you all out there listening are having fun listening to us yammer on about games because <laughs> there's certainly a lot more to say and... I hope you look forward to future episodes, and we're only going to get better from here. Thanks for listening, and remember, write us. Yeah, drop us an email. Look at, check know. us out online yeah. at thespiel.net. We would love to hear from you. Guys. Yeah, we would love to hear from you. I know you're downloading it. I know you're listening out there. So let us know what you think, for good or for ill. We yeah. want to know what we can do better, and we want to know what we're doing well. Definitely. So, so keep us informed and in mind. Um, so thanks a lot and remember whether it's the turn of a card the roll of a dice or the flip of a tile you don't have to play to win you just just have have to to play. play